Greetings, adventurers, and welcome to another episode of Vitamin D&D, your weekly dose of Dungeons & Dragons, just with a DM ordered. I'm your host, Patrick, and here with me today, as always, is my fellow co-host and party member, Brady. Wahahaha! For our spooky, our super spooky episode, <laughs> Halloween edition. Yeah. But yes, hello. Yes, happy Halloween. Ah, two yeah. hosts. Ah, ah, ah. ah. Yes, very good. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, so this is going to be our kind of a special Halloween episode uh, where we are going to talk about the moral panic, or as it's better known in pop culture, the satanic panic of the, uh, I'd say, late 70s into the 80s, would you say, Pat? Yeah, so, I, and I always thought about it as being kind of, as we'll talk about, it's kind of focused for the 80s and 90s, but uh, you can, we'll definitely talk about how it, it's got, you know, moral panics have been around for a very long time, but specifically this one um, in North America started like 60s, 70s. Yeah, I, I, before I really looked into this, I just thought it was just something that just kind of popped up in the 80s. I don't know, like you were saying, I I just thought it just happened because everybody was like, oh, but no, it has its kind of, has some roots that go back a few years before that and some things that lead into it. And it's, you know, things you don't really think about leading into it, but uh, we'll we'll kind of get into that and talk about where it came from and kind of where it went and how it was just kind of like crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's, there's a bunch of great, uh, podcasts out there. Even before we decided to do an episode about it, I, uh, I've listened to quite a few, um, from the, uh, the cults podcast and the, uh, uncover podcast talks about some of these more specific cases. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of good stuff. And I think that, I guess I'm happy that it's becoming a much more popular thing to talk about because it kind of paints it uh in a more like you know looking at it from a oh hey this uh <laughs> the way we were thinking about things at this moment was not that good yeah <laughs> so, it's kind of one of those things where it's like yeah we kind of messed up that <laughs> we uh we were very short-sighted or uh not very we were very narrow-minded so forgive us <laughs> bloody <laughs> jumped the gun there didn't i <laughs> bloody jumped the gun there didn't i <laughs> yeah um, yes. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and jump in. Uh, yeah, get into it. The first part, and this is just a uh, kind of a description that's given to us by the sociologist and criminologist Stanley Cohen. And he uh, he was from, I think he was born in uh, South Africa, I think Johannesburg, um, but studied in London. Um, so he was big, uh, big authority um professor of uh, sociology and that sort of thing. Um, and when he was talking about moral panics, um, he said, moral panics occur when a group or when a person or a group of persons emerges to become defined as a threat to societal values and interests. Warnings about the threat must be passed on by worried citizens with mass media being the most common method uh, in the modern era. Um, and then with through that mass media and community leaders and public officials like you know politicians that sort of thing or um, even just you know leaders of law enforcement that sort of thing can uh, or I guess even uh, what is it nowadays we get a lot of influence from our celebrities um, yep. they can condense the danger down into a digestible easy recognized symbol. So something that people can recognize and kind of rally against 
Um, and it's so that and if they can do that, it's much more likely to incite a public outcry. And then once that threat has been signified, once that symbol has been you know made readily available and kind of recognizable, regardless of whether that panic is justified or rational, um, authorities, you know, like so law enforcement and government officials are, you know, a lot of pressure is put on them to do something about it. Like, you know, why aren't you doing something about it? And then any dissent, um, you know, anybody who doesn't agree, agree with what's going on or the stance that's being presented, um, they're viewed as being suspicious and it's, you know, sometimes a, to some people, a clear sign of guilt. And this can kind of get into like a, like circular logic where it's, mm-hmm. like, it's well, a feedback loop. It's like, why don't you do something about it? And then people say, well, they're doing something, they're doing something about it. So it must be real, must be really happening. So it's, yeah. And then you also get those people that are like, you know, he's talking about pressured into doing stuff. And then people that don't do things uh, are considered, you know, cons- you know, suspicious and then those people try to like defend themselves and they're like, Oh, you're, you're trying to make up a, a reason why and it's like, so you're part of it. And there's like, no, I'm not. And then it just like feeds into itself. And it's this like, again, this vicious cycle or this feedback loop. And, uh, you know, it's funny you think about this kind of stuff and you're like, I mean, like we're better than that. You know, we, we wouldn't get so riled up. Those by, people sound you, crazy. Yeah. You, <laughs> you would be very wrong. Cause I mean, if you just start thinking about it, so let's just go way back to, one of the kind of more well-known ones, like the Spanish Inquisition, when, you know, back with the Malleus Maleficarum, where it was basically a witch hunt. And then the Salem witch trials themselves, that was another form of this mania. Um, you've got something that's a little bit more recent with uh, the Red Scare, you yeah. know, the communist parties and stuff that started uh, after, you know, the 50s, after World War II. It's that like, was kind uh, of this... McCarthy, right? Yeah, and um, yeah, and that kind of era, and it's led all the way up into... Uh, the Reagan era where that was kind of the big thing, but it was really bad in the fifties and sixties. That's when you had people like ratting out other people who thought they were commies and you know, all this other stuff. But um, those are kind of the more, I guess you could say had a lot more ramifications, but then there are other things more modern today that are more kind of a light version of it, but it's kind of the same thing. So like uh, think about magic, the gathering, uh, which is a card game that received a lot of backlash kind of for the same reasons. Cause people thought that they were summoning even Yu-Gi-Oh. I remember Yu-Gi-Oh people getting on yeah. to Yu-Gi-Oh about like, they're summoning these monsters and they're believing in it's like, no. And then, you know, Harry Potter was one. And then yeah. one that doesn't really have a bad connotation to it was like Pokemon and beanie babies. It was one of that just kind of like a mania just of, Oh, we got to get this because if we don't, we're not cool. Or, you know, I've got to get it before these people. And it was a, a different type of mania, but still that sort of like, you know, it was, it was a type of mania just behind a more kind of happy and, you know, joyful guys <laughs> besides, you know, like let's burn people at the stake and stuff. So yeah. uh, there's, there's lots of different types of, of uh, manias and moral pi- panics and things like that, that have yeah. been, Throughout the ages. Yeah, and I can remember, um, I guess from from personal experience, I remember uh, the church that I went to um, in the town where, uh, kind of near where Brady grew up, but whenever I was in, I guess, I'm guessing probably high school or middle school, probably middle school, uh, I was I was big into Harry Potter. I loved reading mm-hmm. um, most, most books, lots of fantasy, but I remember there being like a meeting <laughs> in our church about how like Harry Potter was bad and Harry Potter taught you how to do witchcraft. And it was all about the like black magic and that sort of thing. And I remember 
remember going to that meeting and you know, just kind of not not being shy about it and saying like I'm not I I'm I read all these books and <laughs> I'm not learning witchcraft they're just stories like, yeah uh, exactly can it's someone, like D&D can show me show, can someone show me where the mat, where the uh, spells are yeah um, because I, I would love to learn I would love please. to know <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I kind of yeah like sort of the same for me I, I didn't ever have like a big meeting or anything but like um I I do remember people both at my church and just other people that I knew in grade school and stuff that weren't allowed to read it um, or watch the movies whenever the movies came out because they said, yeah, they thought they were learning witchcraft and all this other stuff, which kind of blew over pretty quick um, for the most part. I think that, yeah, they didn't quite have the legs on it. Like, uh, yeah, because people soon, they were just like, oh, this is just a really good story or a decent story or it's like, no, nah, it's just whatever. So yeah, I didn't, didn't yeah. quite have the, uh, the oomph that some other stuff had. Yeah. And I think, um, one of the reasons why, like maybe, maybe why that, uh, magic or I guess, um, like Harry Potter didn't really get the same treatment as, uh, as Dungeons and Dragons and as other, um, kind of secular things was is because we had kind of grown out of it. Whereas in the sixties and seventies, um, that was you know, like, like Brady said, we were in the, that Reagan era. We were, um, in the cold war, we were being influenced by these outside sources, you know, fighting a war that wasn't, you know, fought with guns, but just kind of these, you know, outside forces kind of pushing against each other. Um, and society was becoming more secular. So kind of mm-hmm. moving away from those, you know, the conservative Christian values of the uh, American dream. And so counterculture was on the rise. And, you know, everybody yep. was like, you know, fighting against the man and like, you know, we do what we want. We right. do, do Power to the think people. differently. We can think how we want. We're, we're not our parents' kids. We, yeah. We're not under their yoke anymore, man. Yeah, so everybody was, uh, you know, young people were rebelling, listening to the rock music, heavy metal, um, you know, stuff like, uh, was it Black Sabbath and like Led Zeppelin um, and what is it, Ozzy Osbourne, mm-hmm. uh, things like yeah, that. Yeah, it was more like later 70s, but yeah, that was, that's yeah. still that vein that was coming on the rise of like, you know, it was cool to rebel and listen to these new forms of music that people didn't quite fully, I guess you could say, understand or appreciate yeah. or like. There was um, one of the documentaries that uh, I'll mention later in this episode. Uh, in 1988, Ozzy Osbourne actually was on that one trying to tell people like, now listen, guys, like we're not actually trying to say anything you know, that we believe in Satan or anything or worship Satan. It's not what we're trying yeah, to say. Where, where's Sharon? Where you at, Sharon? I don't believe in this anymore. Um, so, uh, so of course, all this, uh, all this behavior by the young people, um, the parents could feel them, you know, feel losing the grip. Their kids were slipping away and doing bad things just because, you know, they were things that maybe they didn't like. Um, so that kind of that, like I said, in the '60s and '70s, kind of that hippie era, coming out of it. Yeah, the the free form, the do whatever you want. This is your time to choose your path and be be your own person and yeah, break break the chains of your yeah, break the chains of your parents that they put on you. This is the dawning of the age <laughs> yeah. of Aquarius. Yeah. Yep, that. Um, yeah, um, so, but this was also, but it was also a time of 
you know, these people kind of striking out on their own. It was when uh, a whole new sort of ideology rose about with the Church of Satan, uh, kind of this, again, with this counterculture type thing, wanting to to push back. And that was in, what was it, about 1966 or yeah, so? Yeah, 66, yeah. Anton LaVey, which he was, he was kind of seen as, uh, like, whenever he started the Church of Satan, like, he wasn't really... I guess not necessarily like serious or like super intense about it. All he like his message was uh, serious, seriously about just you know the society is prudish and like he borrowed most of the philosophies in his Satanic Bible that he uh, wrote in 1969. Um, most of it was just stealing um, from other philosophers. Yeah, other... it was just kind of like a conglomeration, wasn't it? Yeah, not a lot of original ideas. On. Yeah. Um, so he was just kind of seen as more of a, a goof, um, kind of a weird guy. Um, but in the midst of that, also this movie called Rosemary's Baby came out. Yeah. I've never seen, have you ever seen Rosemary's Baby? I, I've seen bits and pieces of it, but I, d- I do specifically kind of know about this movie because I remember uh, my mom telling me about it and this mm. this has been years ago i can't remember we were talking about halloween movies or something i don't know we was talking about oh we was talking about scary movies like jaws and stuff like that and how it's like oh it's not scary nowadays but uh she she brought this up and she was like that movie rosemary's baby was just like it <laughs> it scared her so much and it oh, was yeah. just like it stuck with her and it was just this like sort of this visceral thing to her and um so i i think that like you're about to say, it kind of helped feed into this whole like, oh, the devil and all this other stuff. But it was also just this movie that just, you know, elicited this, you know, reaction from people that kind of stirred them up as well. Yeah. And I, I know there was a, a book before the movie, but I don't remember when the book came out. But the when the movie came out, that's when it kind of gained its exposure and people mm-hmm. um, actually were like, you know, because going to the movies is much easier than reading a book for people. Um, so they kind of latched on to this. It was like the, it was like a story of pretty much this lady being forced to have like Satan's baby. Right. Yeah, pretty much. Or she's somehow, somehow has the seed of the devil. Yeah. And it's this child that's like supposed to be the antichrist or a demon or something like that. You know, yeah. That whole chestnut. Yeah. That old creepy uh, chestnut. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so around the same time, um, and like I said, the whole Church of Satan and uh, Satanic Bible, um, those are just kind of seen as kind of novelties uh, whenever they first came out. But um, unfortunately, in 1969, uh, there was a guy named Charles Manson, um, and he had this this cult, this bohemian bohemian cult um, of of people and they committed a, a bunch of murders. I think they were like, they killed like seven people. Yeah. And Sharon uh, Tate was one of the more yeah, she was famous act- of actress. them. She was an actress of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she was, uh, I believe she was pregnant too. At the yeah, time. She was, she was, um, I forgot to, oh man, we didn't put a, I didn't put a boilerplate at the beginning of this episode. You're going to have to, when it was like, um, <laughs> viewer discretion. Oh yeah. Themes. <laughs> Listen, yeah. Listener discretion is advised. Yeah. Some themes may be uncomfortable for viewers. Yeah. I'll, I'll, <laughs> for I'll be sure to under 13. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll put something on that or a dis- disclaimer in the, uh, yeah. description. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, if you got to this point, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> we haven't um, been too explicit or anything. Hey, so, Hey, uh, so yeah. Um, 
You said Sharon Tate, right? That was her name. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, so yeah, Sharon she Tate. Was, she was an actress. I think she was like eight months eight months pregnant. So just super tragic. Yeah. Um, but that kind of uh, everybody at that point had kind of just experienced, you know. Oh, Satan, yeah, the devil, Lucifer was kind of, you know, something you read about in the Bible. And then like, oh, this is Rosemary's Baby movie. And like, there had been other horror movies, but like, holy moly, the Charles Manson murders like brought it like, this is, this is happening in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, his cult was, they murdered these people in the name of some dark plan. And of course they were all, you know, Applying themselves with LSD and like following this b- bizarre ideology, um, and I think uh, as the investigation went on, they found out Charles Manson had told his followers that um, there was supposed to be this uh, apocalyptic race war um, coming, like coming in the future that he was they were preparing for, and the reason he knew this was because of song or lyrics when you play the Beatles song Helter Skelter from their wide album backwards, that there was a message yeah. in there. Um, yeah. And that's another thing that kind of becomes popular is listening to uh, albums backwards to listen for, um, you know, hidden, hidden messages and things, whether they're deliberate or just happenstance. Yeah. yeah you know. It's, it is proven that, I mean, some, some musicians were purposely putting, I think it's called backtracing. Um, actually purposely putting those messages, whether it just be like some Easter egg, like, you know, hey, you listen to the song backwards. Like, I mean, <laughs> like, <laughs> you <hi>. got me. <laughs> oh, boo. Um, but there was, there was a ton, I think there was other, other songs that uh, did the same thing, this backtracing thing. Yeah. And then there were some that were just, just complete coincidences, not on purpose. And people yeah. just started it's one of those things where people start looking for their own, I guess, confirmation bias or whatever. They, they look for things that may or may not even be there, but yeah, that was another thing that people started doing and yeah, they, started blaming things on and like, Oh, you know, the music industry, they're, they're all Satan worshipers and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And like latched onto the, the whole, uh, what's it, sub- subliminal messaging, mm-hmm. um, that they, they were like, Oh yeah, you know, it's, it's going to corrupt your brains if you listen to this music. Um, so yeah. it just, it fed the whole like counter, counter culture. Yeah. <laughs> anti, anti counter, counter, counter culture. Yeah. An- yeah. The, another type of counter culture, <laughs> the counter to the counter culture. Yes. Um, and then there was also, you know, speaking about movies and stuff, one that was kind of in between or, you know, kind of after this a little bit, well, that was a little bit more associated was uh, The Exorcist. That was mm, in 1973. Yeah. That was one of those, that was another one of those groundbreaking movies. And I think part of the, what helped kind of cement it in um, kind of the lore and just of kind of like demonic stuff happening was, uh, you know, there's a lot of um, tales of all these weird things going on going on on set and like oh, one yeah. day they walked in and it was like snowing on set because of something. And like, they just had all these ways and like people were getting sick and a couple people I think died shortly after kind of freak ways or something like that. Hmm. But like that was another thing that was sort of just again in, 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 you know, the main stage of pop culture was all this, you know, still Satan and demons and stuff. So it's, you know, it keeps, it keeps going on. So, right. Um, 
Yeah. So, uh, like I said, this this counterculture um, was starting to become more associated with with Satan, and uh, I didn't know that about The Exorcist, uh, about all that stuff happening around the set and kind of with the production, like a cursed production. Yeah, that was the big thing. It was it was supposedly cursed because they thought that they were messing with these actual demons and stuff. If if you have time, just look it up. Like it's uh, it's kind of like the Poltergeist too. Uh, mm-hmm. That was another one where crazy things went on on set and people were tragically dying and stuff. But, but yeah, look into it. It's uh, pretty interesting stuff. Gotcha. Um, so kind of, I mean, and we had, we had these, these instances happening uh, like the, the Manson murders um, and it kind of, it didn't quite transform uh, the way society was, was reacting uh, quite yet. It was, it was, it's building up. Um even so much as, and people were kind of looking for these things to happen, like these, you know, signs of, uh, signs of this, the Satan, uh, satanic like behavior, these rituals, even in 1975, I believe, believe in like the Midwest, um, there were some suspicious deaths of a bunch of livestock, you know, farmers were reporting strange deaths like these, you know, cows just, being dead in the field and there not being any footprints around it. And they appeared to be drained of their blood and, you know, things like that. And then with these, all these tiny little cuts all over them that, you know, Chupacabra. yeah, they were like, Oh man, it's been done with a scalpel, some sort of ritual knife. Um, but then they actually figured out it was just bugs. Like these, these cows died of disease. And then the like insects, like, just fed on them and drained them. That's why the uh, bugs don't leave big footprints. Nope. Um, so it was Never kind of <laughs> Never there. So at the time it was kind of, you know, people said UFOs, people said, Oh, it's government experiments. People were like, it's Satan worshipers. Um, even though it was quickly kind of proven like, no, this is, this is natural causes. Cows have been dying like this for a long time. Uh, they kind of just, kept rolling with it it was still weird yeah and it's and it's one of those things again where people are like seeing what they want to see it's like no 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 even though there's a yeah. good you know explanation and a you know an actual one they're just like no 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 it's this it's this it's just people just seeing what they want to see the lack of evidence is the evidence man <laughs> man man um so at the same time along with this you know we started that's whenever all these cult experts and all these former satanists like air quotes began coming out of the woodwork, all these people claiming to have been involved with it. They're wanting to like, they're starting to see, okay, this, uh, this thing that people aren't stopping talking about it. They're, they're talking about it more. I'm going to, I'm going to hitch my wagon to this gravy train and, uh, benefit where I can from this. So starting to yeah, see, and, see it a lot more. Yeah. And something else you got to think of too, in this time, uh, whenever we start getting into this more stuff, like, this is when, because, you know, back in the, the 60s, you know, late 50s and 60s, like, you know, people had TVs and stuff, but it wasn't like a, a common thing. Whereas whenever we start getting into the late 70s, early 80s, TV is really picking mm-hmm. up some steam. Like, you know, you get closer to this almost 24-hour news cycle and like the nightly news being a big thing and people making sure they tune in and watch it. And, you know, just they've got the primetime television and, you know, stuff like that. And you you start getting shows and new shows and all these different types of shows just needing uh content so they start looking for people to interview so again you get these cult experts and these former satanists coming out of the woodworks and 
in turn that starts bringing out these other, uh, you know, these quote unquote Christian organizations or these people that are affiliated with some sort of other, you know, like church or something, religious organization that start coming out and really start kind of fighting back and pushing back against it saying, you know, Oh, this is that, you know, they're just start dogging on it and, and stuff. And that really gets into the eighties in in a little bit where we start talking about it. Um, but, uh, after, after that, one of the, the next kind of big things is the son of Sam, um, who was a kind of a, I guess you could say infamous, uh, serial killer in uh, 1976. And his big thing was that he, attributed one of his first couple of kills or first kill why he had to do it was a demon told him to do it from his neighbor's dog. Like a yeah. demon <laughs> in, in, inhabited his neighbor's dog and told him to like kill this, this the person. Grim. Like yeah. And, um, if you, if you are interested in seeing some kind of like, you know, serial killer stuff, I would suggest Mindhunter on Netflix is a uh, mm. yeah, really good show tonight. Yeah. It's, it's very, it's a really good show just overall. It's very well shot, but it's, it's very interesting because the people that they get to portray these serial killers that they interview are like almost spitting images. It's really weird, but it's, it's also very good because, you know, they, they interview him in the second season and, and kind of talk about why he did it and where he did later recant that he didn't cause he was just yeah. trying to make money off of it while he was in jail. But uh, he, he got a lot of publicity while he was in there and like, Again, this whole demon thing kind of caught on, and it was like, oh, a demon told him to do it, um, which kind of leads us into the real big first connection to Dungeons and Dragons in yeah. 1979. It was uh, James Dallas Egbert the third. Yes, the third. Um, yeah, and James uh, James Dallas Egbert the third. He went to Michigan State. Um, yeah, and it was in 1979 that he. Uh, and he he was a known player of Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, he was he was into the fantasy role playing game. Um, and uh, if you want to know what uh, what edition that was, uh, just listen to our last episodes on the history. Yeah, because um, off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you. Um, yeah, but he was also like a prodigy too. He was supposed to be this really smart guy. smart guy that really had you know his whole life ahead of him, kind of a thing, and people. We're saying he was going to go far, but he also enjoyed playing Dungeons and Dragons. And yeah, he uh, went to kind of, State at sixteen, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. he was kind. Of, he was not to be, you know, to say the quote, but like he was kind of a big deal of, of you know, in in the time in the local yeah. area. So, um, but what made him? What made it kind of big was he? Um, let's see. He went missing, but first he went into the school's. Um, what would you call it? The service tunnels yeah, beneath. They the were pool? called like the steam tunnels or something like that. Like the just like the like the service tunnels yeah, or maintenance something. tunnels underneath the university. Yeah, because he and his friends would go down there and play. Uh, they would actually kind of role play their Dungeons and Dragons games down there. But he he later went back down there to try and um, actually commit suicide, but it was failed and it was made a really big deal. Uh, of the time, but um, didn't he go missing for a while and they found him down there? Yeah. Um, he uh, was, he went down into the steam tunnels um, on August 15th after writing a suicide note um, and took some drugs uh, in attempts in an attempt to commit suicide, uh, but it didn't work. And after he woke up the next day, he went 
and I hid at a friend's house. But what was funny, I'm seeing this note just now. I didn't even notice Gen Con um, 12 was going on at the same time. And that's the convention uh, ran by the by TSR, um, the guys who uh, made Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and some people said they, they saw him at the con, but I don't I think he, I think there was just rumors. Yeah. Uh, but that was, it actually made like national headlines, um, on the news and in the newspapers and it was this big thing, but this is really where it would start getting its first connections to Dungeons and Dragons. And, um, it became a big thing. And this woman, uh, I can't remember her name, but she, uh, was like a, a fiction writer and she wrote a sort of a telling of the story. It was called uh, mazes and monsters and it was a fictional, you know, kind of based on true events sort of story. Uh, they got some pretty good steam and it was actually made into a movie straight um, to TV. movie. Yeah, it was a straight to TV movie. <laughs> That's how you know it's but, good. Um, yeah. And it, it was kind of just a forgettable movie, but really the only thing that it has of noteworthy was, has a young Tom Hanks in it and it was his first <laughs> leading role. So like, yeah, that's the only reason it's really remembered is because like, Oh yeah, Tom Hanks was in that movie and it was his first like leading role thing. But basically it was a retelling of the, of the actual events somewhat. And, um, it kind of picked a movie, but it, it did, it was this whole thing of like the media sensationalizing like they did with the actual story. They yeah, were they the conjectures on. and yeah, they latched on. It's like, Oh, the, this game is what's killing or, you know, yeah. what caused him to want to kill himself. He couldn't separate reality from, uh, you know, the game and he was trying to live out the game. And like, just like the media does, it just latches on and beats it to death and basically just gets it rings every, you know, view out of it that they can. Um, but yeah, this is where we start getting into, it really starts picking up steam of, you know, this game is bad. This game is, needs to not be played by our children because they can't differentiate again from reality in the game and stuff. And you start having a lot of these religious organizations coming out on these shows like we were talking about on TV, um, because this is also a time you got to think of like televangelists starting to become pretty big. And, um, you know, these people are, starting to do the whole, you know, born again, born again, Christians and all these religious people are just starting to come out and talk about and condemn this game because, you know, it's, this is what's causing the, you know, the youth of America to go bad and, you know, turn away from what's good and blah, 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 blah. And of course then it just, it's again, it's one of those feedback loops and these vicious cycles of the media finding things and latching onto and then, it's stirring up more people to come out and talk about things. And, uh, it, cause like I saw one interview or one clip of a dude on some, some show, some religious show. And he was talking about, uh, yeah, I, I had, uh, I've had many people call in and tell me that, you know, they took these pieces from this board game and they didn't want their kids to play them anymore. So they threw it into the fire. And when it burned, oh, yeah. you could hear the, you could hear the, <laughs> the screams of the souls that were trapped within the game. And, Oh, they're trying to summon demons and monsters and stuff. And like, there's another interview talking to kids that were actually playing it. And they're just like, no, we just play it. Like whenever we get done, we leave the game here where we play it. And we go back out into the real world. It's, it's just a good release to come and, have you know expand our imagination and be creative and stuff and of course the the people are like but do you do you summon demons do you do this and they're just like no man we just it's it's a game for your imagination <laughs> yeah 
the those cries whenever the dice and stuff are thrown to the fire or all the, the the cries of the nerds who are like not the dice not burn the dice no <laughs> yeah it's like I, I felt the disturbance in the force <laughs> a million souls soul, soul of dice <laughs> um let's see so uh and yeah and uh egbert's story is really tragic um it is tragic we're we're not making fun of that yeah, fact it's you just... gotta wonder if like i mean like it talked about the he said it was a prodigy like being sent to college at 16 you gotta wonder if the, the pressure just got to him oh and, yeah sure um because he i think he uh he was missing for about a month and he finally communicated with like the lead investigator and he had made it all the way down to new orleans um from uh, Michigan state and uh, told, you know, asked the, the investigator, please, you know, please don't tell him where I am. And then a year later, tragically committed suicide. So yeah, I mean, it's a pretty ch- troubled young lad. Yeah, it is. Um, it is sad. And yeah. you hate to see stuff like that, but yeah. again, the media latched onto it and they made it all about something that it wasn't actually about, but yeah. um, kind so, of moving on. Oh, and, and real quick, if you want to see a really good um, YouTube video about some of these other movies that were made during uh, the late seventies, early eighties, uh, check out, let's see, his name is cynical reviews on YouTube and it's called the utterly ridiculous D and D scare movies, uh, cynical mm-hmm. reviews. Nice. Check it out. Cause yeah. they're it. Those movies are like, even for Tom Hanks, he's like the best actor in that movie. It's so cringy. But oof, man, it's, it's bad. Like that's saying something, how bad the rest of the movie is, but yeah, yeah they're, they are pretty, pretty bad, but even an A-list actor just brought it up to a, a, a D minus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He tries, he might, but yeah. Um, so shortly, you know, a little while later, um, uh, you know, around, uh, like I said, Egbert was in 79. So a few other instances, but then in 84, uh, there was a, a serial killer called the night stalker and that was out in uh, Los Angeles. And then uh, another guy uh, named Sean Sellers and he had another, um, and he was, that was in 1985 and he had kind of another connection with Dungeons and Dragons because he was supposedly like into that kind of thing whenever he was 12, but then, um, moved, you know, was moved away from his friends, um, and kind of got involved in this, uh, in worshiping Satan and like studying the occult and things like that. So not studying it through Dungeons and Dragons, but unfortunately it was just into Dungeons and Dragons at one point and then was then interested in, you know, Satan. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, guilty by association, I guess. Um, and so he, uh, I believe he he killed um with with a friend killed one uh lady and then or no killed uh it was a gas station clerk um who had apparently refused to serve him and his friend uh alcohol um and so they they took out some revenge on him and then later on he killed his um his mom and dad um and went to jail um I think they they found out pretty quickly whenever he uh the next morning was like <laughs> Oh no, what happened? <laughs> uh, you know, tried to play it off. Uh, didn't, uh, didn't roll a good deception check on that one. Um, but, uh, then I, I believe he, he kind of, you know, is a, like a self-proclaimed, like pushed away. He, uh, what, what am I, what word am I looking for? Uh, he's a reformed Satanist. Um, 
and I think he, I think he did a lot of speaking, um, against, um, Satanism, like from jail. Um, so kind of a good, good turnout, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Good as it can be, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, I was just going to say in going into the eighties, we just get into a lot more of like, this is where you get into more of that programming, you know, there's stations looking for programming and you get people like, uh, Geraldo Rivera, who was, you know, one of these big reporters did, a a segment or, you know, a whole thing about called the devil's workshop, exposing Satan's underground. And it of course touched on dungeons and dragons among with other things and its connections. And this is where it kind of, I guess you could say it kind of reaches the peak. I would say in the the mid eighties, wouldn't you, Pat? Kind of, yeah. Um, after that, it kind of starts losing steam, but it's one of those things that's always there. But I'd say the mid mid eighties is when it kind of kind of reaches the. Yeah, it was peak. it was peaking uh, peaking around that time, um, and unfortunately, it was it was kind of like you know the height of its fervor, and that's whenever you started getting a lot of the the big name. Um, the big name cases of this uh, this thing called what is it uh, ritual uh, ritualistic um, oh gosh what am I trying to say uh, it's like ritualistic murder or ritualistic sacrifice um, group ritualistic uh, <laughs> I can't remember the phrase that I mean it sounds like you're um, nailing it you're saying uh, so. Um, one of those things. And that's whenever like these, these accusations started happening very, like we said, very uh, akin to Salem witch trials where, uh, you know, somebody would come forward and, and in some cases uh, like the, I believe it was the McMartin preschool incident uh, in, it was in 1983 at, in Manhattan beach, California. Uh, in that situation, I believe it was the mother of a child the mother was emotionally disturbed, had some um, issues going on. I think she might have been uh, schizophrenic. Um, and I don't know if her child had a bruise on her or if she just said that she did. But she contact- contacted the police and it started this whole like wildfire of accusations and you know people coming under suspicion. The people who worked at that, uh, that preschool, the McMartin preschool there and it was just you know took crazy and i think at the time whenever uh the court hearings ended in 1990 it was the most expensive um court proceedings in united states history um just because uh you know went from nine went from 83 all the way to 1990 so seven years of court of accusations of interrogations and they i mean they it wasn't just you know some light questioning of these kids and unfortunately these kids were so young and that's one thing we kind of you kind of see happen with all these instances is Mm -hmm. these these young kids kind of being uh subjected to questioning questioned by untrained professionals and you know i'd say that most most um you know law enforcement agencies at that time didn't have like the best training and and good thing was is that it it changed shortly after all these that we you know studied more of it kind of looked at it from a psychology point of view and you know kind of like you know hey you can't you can't just interrogate a four-year-old for 12 hours yeah um and you can't use you know you don't want to ask these questions that are 
know, kind of leading them along, giving them, feeding them answers. Cause, um, and you can, you can find audio clips of some of these interviews with these children. Um, you might be able to find some videos of some of these cases, but they would literally, uh, be talking to these kids and saying, you know, well, all the other kids, all the other kids say that these things are happening, these bad things, these allegations of, you know, molestation and, um, even ritual sacrifice of animals and babies and all sorts of other things. And even, um, supposedly like celebrities, like I think Chuck Norris, uh, was even named at one point, um, uh, as Chuck Norris. Yes. Not Chuck Norris. That's how you know, <laughs> they should have been like, okay, this is all BS, isn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> he could never, uh, so, and they, you know, pressured these kids, these kids who were saying, you know, nothing happened. They were saying, well, all the other kids, they're saying something happened. Um, so let's just, we're going to hang out here, um, until, you know, just so you can remember. So I, you know, I know you, you can remember. And so it put like an incredible amount of pressure on these kids. And just as a kid, you, you don't want to be left out. Um, and so in a lot of cases, these kids that, you know, insisted there was nothing happening, they would start saying, okay, yes. Uh, okay. Now I remember, yes, that happened. Yeah, that happened. Um, and then, you know, and they would be rewarded by these like untrained, uh, interviewers by saying, you know, see, there's, there's a smart lad. I knew you could remember. It's like, oh man, like it just, it's the worst. Ugh, um, yeah, that's, and that's the bat, not good. Yeah. And so the same, same kind of thing happened in, uh, Martinsville, Saskatchewan, um, in 1992. Uh, so up in, uh, Canada. Um, so that was just oh, a, a lot of, a lot of inexperienced, uh, police officers who were, they were out in, you know, they weren't in some big city. They weren't in a, a large uh, metropolitan and they were on their own they had very limited resources, very untrained professionals or untrained, um, people. Um, and then again in, uh, in Wenatchee, Washington. So like Washington state, there was this detective, um, named Bob Perez, who his foster daughter, like claimed, claimed all these, um, all these things that happen, all these cases of, uh, abuse and his, uh, amazing detective strategy was let's hop in the car and we'll drive around this town that we live in. And, uh, why don't you point out all the houses that, um, that this happened in. And she like pointed out like 22 houses and buildings. And eventually it led to 43 adults, 60 other or 60 total children. Um, with 29,726 individual instances of alleged like abuse and that sort of thing. Yeah. And it was never, it was never proven. Was it? None of this happened. (laughs) None, no shred of evidence. whatsoever. Yeah. My, my first thing would have been like, um, first off, why has your stepdaughter been to all of these places either by herself or like, (laughs) how, how does she, how has she been to these places or know or met all of these adults or other people? It's like, yeah, that that should have been your first tip there, bud. Yeah. Um, and even there was, uh, one instance, uh, with detective Bob Perez, I think he was having like a town hall meeting or something talking about like, you know, this is happening. You know, we need to be on the lookout. We need to try to find who these people are. They're, they're out there. 
Um, and one of the buildings that uh, Donna, this guy's foster daughter, pointed out was the Pentecostal church. Um, and, and a lot of the members had been accused by her and other other children um, who got roped along into it. And the pastor was at the meeting and he stood up and I can't remember his name. Um, but he you know, said like, okay, wait a minute. Like this is, this is a little ridiculous, right? I, I'm, I'm the pastor of the church. There's no way I know these people. There's no way this is happening. Like surely we would have seen something, some like shred of evidence. There's nothing. And, you know, uh, Detective Perez at the time was like, are you like saying that what they're doing, are you, you know, consenting? Are you saying that you agree with what they, what they did? He's like, no, what are you talking about? And shortly thereafter, when a ra- brand new list of names came out of new accused people, guess who number one was that pastor. Um, so, classic just like echoes of the Salem witch trial. It's like, oh, you you want to dissent? You want to not agree? You want to say that this can't be happening? Like, uh, guess what? You're uh, suspect number one now. Yeah, and those those Crazy. are just good ex- Yeah, those are just good examples of again, not, you know, just that how easy it is for these panics or these I don't know what, what you would call these, but just these things pop up where people just get so caught up in it and like, oh, you know, it's just just like all this other D&D stuff that just kind of rolled it out or, you know, kind of started getting caught up in it and stuff. But um, really, you know, after about the 90s and stuff, it kind of starts tapering off a little bit. And just in my opinion, I think part of it is, one, it's kind of ran its cycle and people are probably... Because that, that was the thing about all this too is like when in the height of this in the mid eighties when the, the, you know, it was kind of at its peak, you know, you would think that, Oh, it's nobody's going to be playing. It just caused kids to go out and play it more because it's the whole like forbidden fruit thing. You know, your parents tell you to do one, not to do one thing. What do you want to do? You know, you want to go and do that one thing they tell you not to do. So like it just skyrocketed sales for them and they, they did pretty good. You know, it wasn't on purpose, but it was just the side effect of it. And I think that also kind of helped, bring some things out like where there were more people playing it. So they, people probably started saying like, Oh, this actually is just, you know, a game that use your imagination. There's no summoning, no nothing going on. Like they're not, they're just playing. They're just having fun. It's like, it's like kids playing out in their yard with sticks, you know, being knights and stuff like it's the same thing. So I think that was part of it that helped show people like, Hey, it's just a board game. Like they're just using their imagination. And also I think it, was one of those things where it started running its course just through the media and people were probably getting tired of hearing about it. And it was just moving on to the next thing. And another thing I think probably helped kind of shift the focus away is as you get into the nineties, especially the later nineties, not so much in the early nineties, but you start kind of getting into, um, you know, Clinton kind of takes the stage more with his escapades. And then the end of the nineties, you start getting people worrying about the, you know, the Y2K and all this other stuff. So it's just one of those (laughs) things. It just kind of switched out its spot in the spotlight and other things took its place and eclipsed it. And I think people really just also, as I said, just started seeing it for, Oh, it's just a game. They're not, they're not really doing anything. Yeah. Um, that's what I, I think that, you know, like we've talked about in our history episode, uh, or two episodes on history is that, 
it's had such a huge change and a much more positive uh viewed more positively uh recently um and even you know impactful for you know for a great change like uh what is it the critical role um they just uh started their own um own company to like start giving back to uh different charitable organizations and things like that so yeah it's just change in the world um, yeah, and I wouldn't want to say that it's, you know, quote unquote mainstream in the fact of like, oh, you know, it's gone they've sold out, it's gone mainstream. It's like it's just it's a lot more visible and because just pop culture and I wouldn't want to say, you know, nerd culture, but like nerd is nerd culture is really starting to take center stage with a lot of pop culture and it's yeah. becoming this normalized thing. It's not just these people whenever you say, oh, I play Dungeons and Dragons or I play board games, just in general, you know, people think of these older guys that play down in the basements and never come out from their <laughs> basements and they live, you know, blah, you know, all that stuff. Like, no, those, those stereotypes are, those aren't stereotypes anymore. Like those, it's people, you know, you've got people like Joe Manganiello that plays and yeah. Vin Diesel and, um, Stephen Henry Colbert. Cavill and Stephen Colbert. And like, it's, it's not, it's not these people who just, you know, that society didn't like. It's everybody plays it now and it's accessible and it's this great, as Patrick was saying, like it's this thing for change. Like it's been helping people, um, you know, learn to interact socially or, yeah. you know, helping kids develop interaction or social skills and, you know, like simple math stuff. And like people are starting to see it as, a, you know, a good thing now. And it, it always has been a good thing, but it is becoming this thing that is more quote unquote mainstream and in a good way. And like a wider spread and a wider array of people are enjoying it and finding it and saying like, Oh, this is a pretty cool thing. And not even just D and D like any, like tons of other tabletop RPGs that are along the same lines. Um, so, I mean, it's, it is really this kind of a things have really changed from what it, it used to be. And like, I'm not that old, but I remember, 15 20 years ago whenever i was younger it kind of was like in the late 90s early 2000s it was still kind of looked down upon just yeah, in the fact of stigma. like yeah nerds weren't cool yeah the stigma with it um but even just in the past really 10 years has been the biggest change and it's it's just great to see that people are finding it and enjoying it and again just tabletop games in general but Specifically, Dungeons and Dragons, um, yeah, but it's think, it's just great to see. I didn't thank goodness I didn't get into it until it was like cool. <laughs> yeah, you're a hipster. Or, yeah, or I guess that that would be the hipster. Yeah. Like I was with it before it was cool. Yeah. You're just hopping on the bandwagon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like like people who uh, listened to Adele before she was really popular. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, that's one thing I I try not to be a gatekeeper. I try to bring people in, and that was oh, yeah. one of the reasons Pat and I wanted to start this podcast was to get everybody that wants to learn how to play to be able to play. Cause I don't like when people hoard information or like their interests and keep people out of it because it's like, I want to enjoy this too. And like, I want to enjoy it with other people who enjoy it. I don't want people to be like, no, this is my one thing. You can't enjoy this. And yeah, we're, you're not a big enough fan. We're gatekeepers. We're the guys yelling at the gate at the gate yelling, get in here. Come on, get in here. I got the key. We got it open. Let's go. Come on, everybody yeah. in. <laughs> Come on. We got snacks. We got snacks. Everybody in there. Come on. We got fun stuff. We got famous yeah. people. Um, and so yeah, I think that the biggest thing and kind of the, the takeaway, the, the pantry takeaway, um, 
from this whole satanic panic thing is it's it's not the first time a moral panic has happened it's not going to be the last time um and so the good thing is i think we're we're set up to be a little bit more accepting of secular culture um i'd say that most people even uh most um, conservative christians probably are a little bit more secularly secular leaning than before during this time like in the 70s 80s um but just think about it and know that, you know, looking back, you know, hindsight 2020, these people look crazy. Like how in the world could they look back and, and how could they look at these things and think, yeah, this makes sense. Um, <laughs> totally believable. No evidence. We don't need evidence. Let's um, go for it. And uh, like the biggest thing to take away is just to, to think critically to stop, slow down, examine, um, and you know, I guess uh, just the fact, like you know, get get the facts and not just the feelings. Like, don't get emotionally, don't make a big emotional decisions, um, and don't get swept up in it. Uh, one thing, one of the kind of the movements um, that kind of came from all this was the uh, "We Believe the Children" um, movement. You know, because at the time, all these these children were coming forward, and so people said, you know, you have to believe the children. You have to listen to what they're saying. They're trying to call call out for help, and you're the only ones who can help them. You're you're their parents. You're the teachers. If they're crying out for help, like you have to listen and, and trust them and believe what they say. And I think that you, yeah, you need to listen to kids. Like I have my I have my kids, and I want to listen and pay attention to if they're trying to tell me something, if they need help, or something bad has happened. Um, the thing is, uh, my kids also tell completely crazy stories sometimes. Um, and so uh, you also have to take that um, with its grain of salt. Um, and in a lot of these situations, like uh, McMartin daycare situation and uh, Martinsville, Saskatchewan, there were also kids who were saying that nothing was happening and they were being pressured to change that story. So it's kind of like the whole, we believe the children thing was only, uh, only, they only wanted to believe the children if they were saying something, if they were saying, Oh, like these, these kids are making these stories up. They're not real. Uh, they didn't want to hear that. They wanted to, they wanted to hear the narrative that they were trying to push. So just slow down. Don't get emotionally involved. Look at it with a cold calculating mind. That's right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just don't try not to get wrapped up in it. Don't get wrapped around the axle. Just kind of think critically, but, but yeah, that's, you know, won't be the, wasn't the first one, won't be the last moral panic, as you said, but, um, yeah. but that's going to be it for this moral panic of us talking about it. Um, don't panic. You know, this is, uh, for our Halloween special again, hopefully we didn't get too, too dark, but, uh, we just wanted to talk about, you know, something that's, kind of an interesting part of Dungeons and Dragons past and um, kind of somewhat Halloween appropriate, but that's pretty much going to be it for today's episode on, you know, the, the moral panic or the satanic panic for our Halloween special, uh, 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 as I said, <laughs> but um, yeah, woo. but thanks for listening. And we, we hope you've enjoyed it and found it somewhat informative. And again, hopefully we didn't get too dark or anything like that, but uh, let us know if you have any, you know, comments or questions or concerns or, 
any kind of neat stories that you may have regarding this? You know, if you grew up in this time and had an interesting story or, you know, knew of some people that had something, you know, their, their parents took all their Dungeons and Dragons stuff and burned it in the fire and heard all this, you know, the screams of the souls or whatever. If you just have anything, yeah. Critical fail. But, um, uh, but yeah, let us know, you know, or if you have other topics of things you'd like to hear us discuss or talk about in the future, um, we'd love to hear from y'all and, uh, you can let us know, uh, or comment, make those comments by either hitting us up on our Facebook, our Instagram, or our Twitter, or you can send it to our Gmail, our email, which is the vitamin D and D podcast at gmail.com. That's the vitamin D, the letter N D podcast at gmail.com, uh, or those social medias or at our website, which is the vitamin D and D podcast.wordpress.com. And I'm still working on that site, but we're getting there and it is up and you can leave us some comments and stuff like that. But don't forget to tell your friends and spread the word. And, uh, if you liked what you heard today, feel, feel free to give us a review. Uh, let us know what we're doing good. Let us know how we can improve. Uh, we, we do want to hear back from you. Um, cause you know, we, we see, we see the, the numbers and the downloads and stuff out there. And, uh, we just like to hear from you. We see you floating, but we'd like to hear. So that's going to do it for today. So keep an eye on and ear out for our next episode, uh, where we'll be kind of getting back to our normally scheduled programming of, uh, actually getting into the rules and things like that. We'll be talking about conditions and damage types. Uh, so in, in the game, so we'll get getting back into the rules and mechanics of the game. Uh, so join us back here for that. We hope you enjoyed our Halloween special. Um, but take it easy. And, uh, other than that, we'll see you after your long rest. <laughs>